Hi, and welcome back to Pedestal Missionary Church. This week, we take a break from our study in the book of James to speak to some next-gen leaders. We believe their insight is going to help equip us to best minister to this next generation. Um, we're going to take a little one Sunday break from our study in James and uh, just wanted to uh, talk today about um, sharing the gospel, uh, looking at principles from God's word about evangelism. Uh, part of our mission statement is leading others to Jesus. Uh, that's that middle section. First part, giving ourselves to God. We give heart, sorrow, heart, soul, mind, strength, give it all over to him. We lead others to Jesus. We are, we are ambassadors of the gospel. And then that third part, uh, walking together in the love of the Holy Spirit. And, and so I want to just kind of focus in on that second part, leading others to Jesus, looking at principles today regarding evangelism. We're going to be uh, in God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Luke 19. We're also going to be in Acts 17 and Daniel chapter 1. Being in the Word is very important for me. It's a non-negotiable, and so we're going to do that. But we're going to just do it in a different format this morning. I've got uh, three Gen Zers up here with me, and we're going to kind of focus specifically on uh, reaching Gen Z with the gospel. Uh, these three young men up here really represent Gen Z generation, and they represent a generation that truly loves Jesus, is passionate for the gospel. I love what these three bring to the church and to the kingdom of God. And really, I could have had a, a whole large group of Gen Zers up here. I have enough with these three because I got three talkers. And first service, uh, they went a little long. And so we had a little, little conversation between services. And they're going to shorten some things up a little bit. But I love, man, I love their passion. I love their heart. And uh, they, get, again, just represent uh, this Gen Z group and what they bring. And, I, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap, I think, for... Uh, you know, kind of being techy and distracted and all that other stuff that we're going to talk about here shortly. But uh, I tell you, my observation, what I'm seeing in Gen Z is a passionate, Bible-believing, faith-believing, kingdom-minded uh, group of people, and I'm really excited about that. Just for a little bit of direction for us this morning, we're going to talk about some of the characteristics of Gen Z. We're going to look at some of the beliefs and worldview. We're going to jump into God's Word in those uh, passages, looking at principles of evangelism, discipleship, and that's going to be a little bit of our format here this morning. I'm just going to help facilitate this discussion here this morning. As we talk about generations, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of look at the oldest generation, uh, sometimes known as the greatest generation, silent generation. This is World War II generation. Uh, some of you are in that category. You have shown us what sacrifice really, really means. And I just applaud you and your generation for that. Next generation is boomers. And uh, you were in that era of industrial revolution and, and new things that were coming and, and uh, you have charted 
that course well uh, for us in regards to keeping um, Christ of, of first importance. Next generation is Generation X, which is my generation. And we kind of lived through the Cold War and, and depression and high inflation. And that kind of shaped us in, in some ways. Next is, uh, is, the, is the millennials. And, and uh, you grew up with, with just the beginning of technology. And... Uh, you are much better at it than I am. But then we get to Gen Z, and that's a whole nother level of technology and the way they communicate. And, and the, there, there's positive things and negative things. And it's that true with every generation. But this morning, we're going to just kind of focus in a little bit on Generation Z and going to hear from the hearts of uh, these three young men. Let me introduce them to you. Uh, to my immediate right here, Josh Graber. Uh, Josh is the son of Rick and Deb Graber. Uh, Josh is uh, pursuing a degree in Christian ministries. He's doing that online through Moody. Also very much involved with youth ministry here at PMC. Next to Josh is Weston, Weston Roofer. Weston is the son of Corey and Honor Roofer. Uh, Weston is a student at Ohio State University, so he's on a very large secular campus. Um, Weston is very much um, the light of Jesus in that place, has a passion for the gospel, uh, and is even at this point receiving some coaching training from uh, East Central Region uh, with the hopes of starting disciple making movements in Columbus. Uh, that's one of those large cities that the ECR would love to have um, a missionary church presence. So we'll see how God works in all of that. To uh, my far right, CJ Pierce. CJ is the son of Chris and Tammy Pierce. CJ serves on staff here at PMC as our tech assistant. And CJ too, uh, very much uh, involved in ministry. Uh, received his Christian ministries degree from uh, Moody Bible, uh, but has been very much involved in ministry a lot of his life and involved in crew and serving uh, Christ at different college campuses. And again, just uh, very passionate about the gospel. So really excited to have uh, these three young men up here this morning. So we're just going to jump into this. Uh, we're going to talk, first of all, about just characteristics of Gen Z. Uh, again, this generation grew up with technology. Uh, you know, for me, you know, I was, you know, I was uh, in, my, in my late 20s, early 30s when I got my first cell phone. Well, these guys have grown up with phones in their hands. And so, Josh, uh, talk to us a little bit about technology and just how that has shaped your generation. So yeah, as PK said, uh, Gen Z is 1997 to 2012, <clears throat> with us kind of being on the head end of that. So if you look at 1997, the technology developed then, and then the technology in 2012, it's quite the span of, of the technology that we've, that we've um, developed and gotten with. Um, but me as a kid, I can think back to when mom had a flip phone with the little antenna that you pulled up, and I can think then to when she got to a new flip phone that didn't have the antenna, and I thought that was the coolest thing. And then I can also think back to uh, when the Wii came out. I, when I was little, I played the GameCube a lot. And when, when the Wii came out, that was huge technology because you didn't have to plug anything in. You can just wave it and it motion detected you. I was like, that is, that's sweet. But 
I, I say all this because nowadays, the, the Gen Z kids at the tail end of it, so close to like 2012, the Wii is an old system to them, and um, like iPhone, some iPhones is old to them, and I can think back to like when the iPhone and iPad and all that stuff even came out. So anyways, I say all this because despite the span of technology that's been developed, all of Gen Z has lived with cell phones and has lived with technology and all this stuff, unlike um, people in the ages past us have not. So that's what, that's what sets us aside is that we don't know how to live without cell phones. And <clears throat> I say that shamefully. I, I wish so bad I could live a day without my cell phone, but because that's the life I've lived my whole life, I can honestly say that it would be almost impossible to, to not do so. Um, but with technology comes good and bad things, so, and I think it's good to look at both things, not just the bad, not just the good. It's good to uh, think about all the things. So when you think about the good things about technology and that uh, has with Gen Z, we got the convenience of it, the communication, and how, how simple you can talk to anybody at any time and connect with anybody um, that you haven't seen in a while. You can just communicate with them anytime you want in the day. Um, and the knowledge and skills it comes with. So I can look up anything I want on my cell phone and find out any fact I want. I can look up YouTube videos anytime to show me how to do some task. And that's definitely a huge benefit in life to, to have, those, have that accessibility any time of the day you want and as much as you want. But it's, we also need to be looking at the bad things, the bad side of technology. So we look at the bad side, uh, quite honestly, to me, the biggest thing is the sinful temptations and habits that technology causes. Now, I'm not just talking about the uh, sexual content online that you can get into. I'm talking about anything that, de that the devil may tempt us with, such as uh, like buy buying things. I know even not on eBay and Amazon, like just ads that pop up. It's like, whoa, that would be cool. I, I think I kind of want to buy that. And we don't, we don't think about it in the moment, moment, but that's definitely some temptations that's causing us to not focus on God and focus on possessions and us selfishly, individually, as well as uh, like jealousy of things that people post on social media, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, social skills have gone downhill quite a bit because kids don't know how to talk on the phone, let alone face-to-face. -face. They just get used to texting all the time. Um, laziness, myself included in that, uh, technology causes, uh, causes us to be lazy sometimes. Uh, no hobbies. I see kids at basketball games all the time. When I was little, I used to go to siblings' basketball games and stuff. I would take Hot Wheels and like actual like fun little toys that kids play with. And nowadays, I see kids with these giant headphones on that don't even fit them, <laughs> uh, plugged into an iPad, like watching a movie the whole game. And that's not always bad, but at the same time, like develop hobbies, develop skills, develop fun things, be outside, and I don't see kids doing that as much today because of the technology that we have developed. Uh, we, we seem as if, as if we have flawless lives based on social media, which is the opposite message of the gospel. In fact, we should be showing that we don't have a flawless life, which is why we need Jesus, but we post as if we have flawless lives. And lastly, uh, selfish time spent. We, we spend time doing what we want on social media instead of spending time in the Bible, instead of spending time talking to people, getting close to people, and helping people out. So that's just a small list, but that's the both good and bad things about the technology and the age that Gen Z lives in. Good. Thanks for sharing that, Josh. Weston, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, Gen Z and, and just connections with each other and, and also touch on really something that's becoming more and more prevalent, and that's the whole mental health uh, issue concern uh, for your generation. Yeah, um, so with technology, I think um, we have more ways than ever to communicate, but it seems like actually my generation is maybe the loneliest or um, we don't have the same face-to-face -face relationships that were before. Um, and so in some ways, I think a lot of people have lost their sense of community. A lot of kids maybe don't have a sense of community, so then they look to dangerous places for 
senses of community. Um, and along with that, um, I think that, yeah, with the mental health issues, um, maybe we don't have the same challenges that generations past have had, but there's definitely a war and attack on our minds. And um, just trying to, the enemy is definitely on, in war with our minds and um, depression and suicide and um, all sorts of anxiety um, rates are up and um, kids and um, the world is trying to provide resources to them and um, answers, giving them answers, but honestly, their answers, the answers that the world provides are not um, fixing the problem in my opinion um, because I know the answer to any kind of fear and anxiety is, is Jesus and the hope he brings. But um, another, I think our generation um, is really concerned with um, justice and social equity and equality, I guess, for everyone. Um, that's something, I guess, the Lord, one of his attributes is justice and he's a just God. So that's something that's good. But um, that's just something that I've seen. And, um, and then also... Gen Z, um, there's been many reports showing that they want mentors and people to be able to pour into their lives. Um, we actually have a study has shown that the U.S. is the, um, the leads the world in fatherlessness. Um, and speaking of Father's Day, like that's kind of a, a scary statistic, but we're seeing the effects of that in our kids and um, how they're growing up without um, figures, father figures in their homes. Um, but we have the most fatherless kids in the U.S. CJ, uh, talk a little bit about the perspective that Gen Zers have regarding education and work, because that's different than previous generations. Yeah, for sure. So first off, um, Gen Z is up in like the older group of Gen Z, so about our ages and a little bit younger, um, are the highest educated like <laughs> generation that's aged to adulthood per capita. Um, so the, the highest amount of bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and doctorates, which I couldn't imagine being 23, with, like having your doctorate done at 20, like that 23 age, because I feel like that would have like run me into the ground. But there's a lot of them. Um, now that changes with the younger group of Gen Z, um, and they're still continuing to be the highest educated, but their education is coming in different areas. So it's coming from trade schools and vocational schools and coming from uh, doing apprenticeships or, or uh, going to college for a few years and then dropping out not to just go do whatever, but actually to pursue a job in the field, their field of study because employers are hiring Gen Z young people out of college and giving them a job when they're sophomore juniors in college and they don't even have to finish. Um, so it's interesting in comparison to other generations um, because you're, you're seeing education having a change um, for that generation. Now for work, it's interesting because one of the foundational characteristics of Gen Z is uh, what some researchers refer to as a need, not a want, but a need for financial stability. Um, and they, they believe that comes from living through you know, the, the 2008 recession and some other stuff and, and kind of watching the world be in financial chaos. And a lot as, and similar to a response um, that um, some of the older generations did to things like the Great Depression or different wars and that kind of stuff. But in that, a lot of, a lot of that group is, is not creating that financial stability from having like one really good paying job, but instead from having their primary focus be on you know, something, uh, uh, Barnard's study said that like 75% of Gen Z wants their primary focus to be to help people and help the world progress. Um, so that's coming from this group of people 
having, like the average is like four jobs. And the average being four jobs is insane. The average Gen Z that's aged to adulthood has four different sources of income. And so they're working in a bunch of different places with their focus being helping people or, or helping the world in, in general. And a lot of that comes from like Weston was talking about social concerns and mental health um, and trying to build connections and community in a lot of those ways. Um, so you're gonna see Gen Z doing a bunch of things and it looks like they're just scattered all over the place, but they're in a one, one researcher is like, it's like a, a fervent attempt to survive um, as some people have put it. Okay, good. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, before we move on to the next category, I just want to make sure that you guys really um, are true Gen Zers and you know your Gen Z slang, okay? So uh -huh. I, got, I got words for you here, all right? Um, <clears throat> the word is bop. What's bop? Oh, no. I have no idea what bop is. <laughs> I think it's like a good song. Yes, yeah. good job, Weston. <laughs> It's a really cool song. There yeah, you go. Just, just to note, we are like, we're not as hip with the kids as uh, <laughs> some of the Gen Z is. We're, we're uh, as some Gen Z would say, we're, we're the Gen Z boomers. Um, so just <laughs> to note that. All right. I'm an old man. At Here's the easy old. one. I don't know. Canceled. Uh, to be canceled is like when you um, have an idea and like uh, you're shot down and then you're no longer at, you can't have any platform or any kind of like. Um, recognize, or you can't be recognized. Yep. All right. Last one. Big yikes. What? Big yikes. This is what the internet said. This is, the the internet yikes? said this is a Gen Z slang word. Big I, yikes. I had I a feeling that we should this. screen these before to make sure we knew them so we didn't embarrass <laughs> ourselves in front of all the real Gen Z. Uh, but is it like something's like, I'll use more Gen Z, like something's like super cringe and like it's... Oops. That's, like, that's what I would say. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, you guys are on the right track. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Embarrassing, disturbing, yeah. shocking. Cool. It's some real Gen Z, is that right? Sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Point number two, uh, we want to delve into a little bit just regarding what is the worldview? Uh, what are the beliefs of Gen Z? So, um, Weston, start us off. Uh, talk from the perspective of someone who is not a Christian, someone who is totally secular. How do they view the world? Yeah, um, so according to a recent survey, 4% um, of Gen Z actually holds like a biblical worldview. So that means the 96% um, don't. But many believe truth is subjective to like whatever I feel or whatever you feel um, and each person has their own truth basically is a, um, a view that a lot of people hold um, and also another thing is um, you must be tolerant of others views but if you aren't tolerant then your views won't be tolerated which is kind of <laughs> hypocritical in my opinion but um, they're and they're really okay with the religion and like as long as you keep it to yourself and you don't try to share it or um, try to like they don't want to be have anything to do with it um, so a large number are atheists too, or but, agnostic. But before you go on, just like, you, you are on a secular campus yeah, at Ohio yeah. State. So just what, you know, what is that environment like for you? What, how, how are you received? How are you mm -hmm. uh, as a Christian? I would say, so just in day-to-day -day, like, life, I, um, there's a lot of different views and religions and different things going on at OSU. It's the third largest school in the U.S., but... Um, so there's lots of religions, and of course, um, if they're going to tolerate one, they have like 
I don't, I've never had anyone have a problem with me going to church, or, but um, maybe I've been teased for like when someone is like, oh, you don't cuss or you don't swear or I don't know, just things like that. Like people notice maybe, I don't know. But I think um, when I try to share maybe about like, like it being a, a relationship and it's not something that I have to do like as a religion, that's when people are a little uncomfortable because um, they're okay with me having to, with me um, having my own religion and doing, I don't know, that's just something I've noticed. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Josh, um, on to you. Why don't you uh, share a little bit just in regards of, um, again, a, a total secular Gen Zer. How, how, would they, how would they view Christianity? What would they think about that? So yeah, as the faith itself, based on what I've seen with Gen Z and people I've engaged with and whatnot, uh, they think the faith itself is kind of lame and kind of dumb because they can't live exactly how they want. I think they, they tend to look at it in a legalistic way as in the faith says, I can't do this and you can do this, but you can't do this and can't do this. And I think that's what, how they see the faith a lot of times and because of that, they think it's just lame to follow. Uh, they think it's a scam. It's just like fake joy. People like us who have faith and walk with a smile and have joy, they, they think that's just fake. We just put it on. Uh, it's impossible to live up to, which it is, but they think since it's impossible to live up to, why even attempt it? And it's only condemning. They think that um, it's only condemning the actions you do and the things you say and, and so on and so on. It's no positivity at all, which again is the complete opposite of what it actually is. Um, and then us, us as a whole, I think they view us as all we do is butt heads constantly. We, we can't see eye to eye on, on any issue. Um, they think that we judge all the time instead of love, which sometimes is the case, but they view it as in like we only judge and not love at all. They think we get way too involved in uh, political issues. And then when we look at uh, Jesus in the Bible and like the, how, how legit it actually is, this is kind of tough and confusing to me with Gen Z because I think a lot of people, um, they do think the Bible is legit to some extent and I think a lot of them do believe Jesus existed. But who they believe Jesus was is not the same one who we believe, I think. And I, I base a lot of this too off of TV shows because a lot of stuff coming out of Hollywood today, if you watch any show on TV, has the family as a lot of times they'll label them as Catholic and a couple of episodes they'll go to mass, like the whole show and that's it. And beyond that, like nothing is talked about faith and you would have no idea that they believe in Jesus at all. And I think a lot, um, I think a lot of that ties into what Gen Z believes. They see that and that type of stuff and they think, oh, well, this Jesus guy must have been must have been an actual guy who lived and walked at one point and the Bible, like um, famous things like Noah and the flood, I think, I think they believe that to some extent but then if they dig, dig deep and think about it deeply, I don't think they actually do believe that Jesus was, a, was fully God and fully man. I think they just think he was a man and I don't know if they fully believe all the things that happened in the Bible. So it's definitely a tough topic to talk about and definitely a tough thing to tackle because Gen Z is kind of on the fence with that, I think. And I don't know, it's, it's confusing to me. Wouldn't you also say that a lot of people maybe recognize the Bible, but they don't think that everything in it is like true or um, it's outdated or it's not mm -hmm. oh, it absolutely, represent yeah. today? Or absolutely, I, th I well, think. And it goes back to about subjective yeah. versus objective truth. And again, everything is subjective in gen not only Generation Gen Z. I think a lot of generations deal with subjective truth as being the truth, and so that's that's a challenge for for all of us as we share the gospel with others. Um, CJ, talk about, um, from a Christian Gen Zers viewpoint, um, how they would view Christianity. 
view the church? Yeah, so um, I'm going to burn through some stats real quick because I'm like push the time along a little bit. Um, but first, I'm going to kind of start with some bad news about Gen Z in the church. Um, so the first thing that I want to bring up is that Gen Z, I have Gen Z, 60% of Gen Z is going to leave the church by the time they're 23. So a lot of it's not 23 yet, so there's still time to change it. But as of right now, 60%. So it means like out of every 10, six are going to leave, which is really extremely sad. Um, and and, and to, to kind of add a more, depress, a more depressing thought to that, only thir- out of that 60%, only 30% of them are leaving out of unbelief. So meaning they're, they're giving up on the faith, they're letting the faith go, or they're, they're deciding like, uh, Josh was talking about, they're deciding they just want to go out and live in the world and, and do whatever they want because it's not worth that. Only 30%, so three out of the 10 that leave are doing it out of unbelief. And, and I was like, okay, where's that other 70% going? And so I was looking in my research and I found something that actually kind of angered me at first. It was that out of that group that leaves, 70% are leaving because they don't find the church trustworthy. 70% are leaving because they don't find the church trustworthy. And at first I was like, no, that's not true. Like, this is just somebody trying to make Christians look bad, yada, yada, yada. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is probably true. If you look at things that happened in places like Seattle and New York and London and all of these big churches that are just crumbling because the church lacks what we would deem as trustworthiness in a lot of situations, because leaders are following, Christians are not acting like Christians in a lot of ways. And so I, not to, not to try to condemn anybody, but to, to, to realize that, like, how do we continue to build um, a trustworthy church? And something that Gen Z looks at and goes, that, like, if you think of, like, 70% of those that leave could stay if we were trustworthy. And I think that's something really interesting to think about. Um, and I'm not saying we're not. We do a really good job here. And I think that the statistic is very opposed to what we see here at PMC. The youth does a really, the youth leaders do a very phenomenal job. Your parents do a really good job um, raising your kids. And we get to see um, that statistic be opposed here at PMC, which is really cool. Um, but to counter that, out of the, the 40% that stays, you get to see something really interesting. Because out of that 40%, like, those kids are on fire for Jesus. They absolutely adore Jesus. They've seen the majority of their friends leave. So it's not the popular thing to stay following Christ. Like, these kids are devoted. These kids are solid in the Word. These kids have, hold a biblical. These are the 4% that you were talking about earlier that hold a biblical worldview. And it's, it's really, really cool to see, I mean, a group of young people just absolutely on fire for Christ. Now, out of that group that stays, something's really interesting and something that's cool, um, I think it's extremely unique, and they say this is the, the highest this has ever been in all of history, like first century, all of history. They say that, say that 65% of Gen Z that's in the church, that stays in the church, would take a call into vocational ministry or into foreign missions if they were asked. Not like they want, like if you ask them, more than six out of 10 would say, yes, I'm going. And they would drop everything. They would give up everything to just follow the Lord to the ends of the earth. And I think that's something really cool. And I think that's encouraging uh, for the church. I mean, I think that's something that's really important as we really await the Lord's coming. And I think that's going to be a really big part of um, us fulfilling the Great Commission as a church. Good. Thank you. Well, let's uh, dig into God's Word. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19, uh, we're going to now just talk about biblical principles uh, on, 
on evangelism, discipleship. Uh, and again, these principles are, are transferable. Uh, what I mean by that, they, they work at any time, any place, any geographical location, any culture. Uh, these are principles from Scripture which we really need to grab a hold of in fulfilling uh, the church's mission of, of making more disciples. And so, uh, Weston, start us off uh, from Luke 19. I know you don't have time to read the text, but uh, just give us the quick summary and really the principle of, of what Jesus is modeling for us here. Yeah, so Zacchaeus, who was hungry for the Lord, he was hungry to know him. Um, and it says, um, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up in a sycamore tree. That's my dad's favorite tree, actually. Um, and Zac he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Um, so he hurried and came down and went joyfully. Um, so you see the Lord just invite, or going to his house and having a relationship with him. Um, he didn't bring him to the temple. He didn't bring him to the church. He brought him to his he went to his house and he, he started, he lived with him. He like, he had conversations. He, um, he, um, sometimes I see people at OSU, um, like screaming in megaphones, um, on the streets or, um, you're all going to hell if you don't repent. And I don't know if that's necessarily the model that, um, is going to work. Um, I think just being, developing relationships with the people that you're around, um, is much, is more what I see. Um, but Jesus, he listened, he asked questions. Um, um, that's very important to, to listen to the people, to um, love the people that you're with and um, show that you care, and, but also not to be threatened by them too, um, by their outrageous beliefs or their sin or um, just because you don't agree with them. Um, so it's building trust, having relationships with people, um, relationships that can support truth where, where you're able to speak truth into their life and they're able to respect you and, and then that truth is able to like pierce them and um, be like, oh wow, I, I need, I need you. Um, so just don't be a noisy gong, I guess, is something that I've learned. Um, you need to be, we need to be walking in the Holy Spirit to know exactly um, what is the time and place to um, speak and who we are supposed to minister to. Um, but you never know, I guess, how much an influence you can have on people around you. I notice people, um, like I was with my roommates, two of them um, I don't think they were following Christ, um, but one of them at the end of the year was like, Weston, you just, um, you just have a love for people that I don't have. And um, it's not anything with me, but it's about who, how God's transformed me in my life. So just um, walking as a representation of people around you. Um, and then one thing that I just have noticed in the story um, about in how Jesus um, and ministered to his disciples those three years, um, Sometimes we try to get people saved and then we just kind of abandon them. And I don't think that's right because um, when we have babies or we have children, um, when they're born, we don't just um, get them born, like getting them saved, and then hand them a bottle and diapers and everything that they need and say, here, take care of yourself and you can grow up, you know, and then have more children of your own. We, we nurture the children. We, um, we feed them. Sometimes people need to be spoon-fed the scripture or... Um, the directions they need as they're being discipled because discipleship is a process it's not just one day it's one it's not just one thing it's a it's a process of life and so i've just um and you see how jesus we don't always see how we i mean in the text maybe we read that story of zacchaeus but we don't see how maybe um jesus impacted other people's lives over weeks or um 
Because it's just, it maybe seems like one day to us, but um, I think our culture moves so fast with um, everything that we forget like how important it is to, to develop those relationships, to take the time to ask questions, to seek out the lost. And because um, like life is too short to just waste every opportunity that we have to reach out to others and um, to bring them to Christ. But yeah, it's good. I think too, one of the points that was brought out earlier, just, you know, how technology really has created a great deal of loneliness and there is a great need for connections, for relationships. And I think this text here in Luke 19 is so relevant for the church today in how we evangelize, how we take the gospel to our communities. Uh, it is relational. It is establishing friendship, trust, and speaking into their lives. And I think this is just really, really significant and particularly very significant for Gen Z. Uh, CJ, we're going to have you uh, kind of summarize Acts 17, uh, the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill, and how he spoke in a way to them that made some connections, established some, some common ground with them to, again, plant those seeds of the gospel. So why don't you talk about Acts 17 a little bit? Yeah, so when we were meeting about um, today, uh, last week, and then um, a couple weeks before, just to kind of discuss what we're going to talk about, Pastor Kent brought up Acts chapter 17, which is something that's been on my heart uh, thinking about our generation. And it, I feel like it is such a kind of a mirror to the culture that we live in today. Um, and so I don't have time to read through the whole text, um, but if you're taking notes, write it down. It's Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Um, and it is a really, really good read, and I think that it's something that we should know by heart uh, when it comes to the culture that we're living in today. Um, so just to summarize it real quick, Paul was in Athens, which is in Greece, um, and just a little bit of background on Greece and Athens at that time, and really through most of the ancient world, was they were known for one thing, and that was philosophy and religion. Um, and they had every idea that, has ev that was ever made um, to that point in time going through the streets. People were talking about it. They met in this place called Mars Hill, and they literally just essentially yelled philosophy back and forth, trying to somehow get the upper hand um, in a very, like Weston was saying earlier, in a very subjective way where one philosopher would hold a truth one day, and the next day he would have a completely different truth, and they would argue about that different truth from, from dusk till dawn every day. Um, it literally says that Paul went up to Mars Hill every day. Like, we don't know how many days every day was, but for however long it was, it was every day. And he went up there and he was talking to these philosophers and these people that they gathered around. And he did something interesting, which I think is really, really cool. And it was a really good reflection to today's culture. Now, Paul went around and it says in the text, Paul went around the city and saw that there were altars to so many different gods everywhere, including one to an unknown God um, that Paul later, when he's talking to this group of people, later says, this, this unknown God that you've been worshiping, that you have an altar to, that you've been giving sacrifices to, that is God. That is the one true God. That is the father of Jesus. That is the creator of all things. And he goes on to use that as an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And as Pastor Kent was saying, that he created a middle ground, a, a, a place where they can communicate freely because he established a connection with him. Now, in how he says it, I think is the key and something that we can 
learn, um, especially for Gen Z, because Gen Z really, really needs this because they know how Christians ought to act. It says, uh, I was reading research that says 70% of Gen Z outside of the church has read at least one gospel. They know how Jesus was. They know how Jesus acted. They know how his followers are supposed to act. And I think a key to, to reflecting that is speaking the truth in humility and in love. And so Paul, in this passage, speaks to their ungodliness, speaks to their agnosticness, their confusion in religion, in humility, and in love. Now, Gen Z is an extremely educated group. They're very agnostic, where they know a bunch about a lot of religions, but don't really have faith securing them to one. They run around and hide um, from harsh, absolute truth in relative li- relativeness. Um, and, and I think that we need to approach that group that's very similar to the people of Athens in a similar way that Paul did. Not as though they're wasting their time in philosophy, but as fellow creation who has been lost in a futile search for truth. In, in a lot of ways, and I believe that in that, in humility, we let the gospel speak for itself. And I'm reminded of a, a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that says, let's not dilute the gospel, but instead let it speak for itself. And I think in a lot of ways, our culture dilutes the gospel by how we speak the truth. And we speak the truth harshly and and fervently, which is great, which is was we're called to, but I think we approach the gospel a lot of times from the lens of the Jesus who is flipping tables. You know, we go, oh, this, we're, this, our culture is so bad, like, I have this righteous anger for our culture. But I think something we realize about that location that Jesus was flipping tables is that was in a church, that was in a, the synagogue, that was because they were mishandling what God gave them. He wasn't flipping tables in schools or in courthouses or in bars where the sinners hang out. He was approaching all the sinners with love, and with patience. Like Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst, but Jesus called him out of the tree, met him there, and approached him with humility and love. And not only is that something we have to do for every day, but the angry gospel is not gonna cut it anymore. Like. You're not going to reach any Gen Z. They are so shut off to another loud voice that if we meet them where they're at in humility and love as a fellow creation who's just looking for truth, I think that's how we're going to reach Gen Z and how we're going to reach the next generation. And for, for the sake of them, for the sake of the next generation, for your guys' kids, for those of you that have young kids, for our future families, we have to show love, we have to be humble, and we have to do better with the gospel. Good, thank you. Josh, uh, we're gonna just quickly go here to Daniel chapter one. I, I know you don't have much time, you're gonna have to cut your comments short here, but, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, I think Daniel one is very pertinent to our day and age because Obviously, here in America, we are in a post-Christian culture. Daniel was in a very godless culture, living in Babylon, and yet he lived out his faith extremely well. Um, so talk to, us, talk to us about that. Yeah, so I want to I piggyback off CJ quick a sec. Um, when you look at Paul, and not just Acts 17, but Paul and his whole mission and stuff, something that he did that we have to do is we have to make connections as we talk to people. We can't just talk to people and kind of going off of what Weston said. We can't just... We can't just say the message and walk away. Like we have to, we have to follow the mission that Jesus did. And as, I, I can't push enough to make connections with people and connect with them in, in some way, like, like Paul did. Because I've, 
I've talked to a handful of people in my life who have awesome wisdom and awesome info that they give me, but they make no connection with me and I cannot connect with them at all. So I walk away with a, a lot less than I could have because I just don't connect with them at all. And that's something that we have to push and have to do when we, when we tell people about, about the gospel and just talk to people as a whole. So anyways, as a side note, let's, uh, we went into Daniel 1. Again, I don't have time to uh, do this whole thing because I don't have much time, so I'm just going to kind of tell in a nutshell. You have two minutes. Sorry. Go ahead, actually. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I said I have a group of talkers up here. Thanks, guys. It's all good. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I just asked him to say this wicked fast. Uh, so in Daniel 1, the king uh, pulls all these guys and wants to educate them and feed them so basically he, they, he, they can uh, be on his staff someday and he can go to them to seek wisdom and so on and so on. So, uh, but... As he does this, when I said he wants to educate and feed them, what he wants to feed them is wine and meat. Now, Daniel isn't, isn't against eating meat. He's against eating meat in the way that it was slain because it was not slain based on the Mosaic law. And because of that, Daniel, Daniel had a conviction inside of him and said, I'm not going to do this. Now, again, in Daniel 1, we have to look at living out faith with conviction, but also doing it in a, in a loving way like CJ was talking. It's not, we can't live out the mission by the Jesus flipping tables um, type of guy and only look at that aspect of him. Because uh, Daniel easily could have done that too. But instead, Daniel did it in a loving way. And because he did it in a loving way, it was effective. And we have to keep that. And when I say loving, I, I'm not saying like dilute it. Again, like what CJ was saying. I'm not saying dilute it to make people feel loved. Like, be honest, but be loving. It's, it's, that, sim it's that simple, but that complicated at the same time. But when we look at this, when, uh, what Daniel did in this is awesome. Because instead of just standing up and saying, I'm not going to do this because I believe in God. And then just stopping and being dumb about it. He goes to the king's official and says, well, how about I do this? And uh, what he says when he says, how about I do this? He says, uh, they want to do 10 days of the king's people eating the meat and wine like the king wanted Daniel to do. And then Daniel does some good old H2O and vegetables, which is not my type of meal. But, but uh, that's, what he, that's what he says. And the king's official says, okay, well, we'll do that. And uh, if we look at the end of Daniel 1, when uh, the 10 days is complete, at the, end, at the end, it says that Daniel and the guys that did that diet gained knowledge, intelligence, and health, and as well as being able to help with visions. And then it also said at the end that when the king would consult with them on wisdom and about things, visions that he saw and whatnot, the guys on that diet that had a conviction, said, I'm not going to eat the meat, had 10 times, 10 times as good a wisdom and insight as the magicians did. And... Again, I don't, I don't have much time, but that's, that's just awesome to me that how Daniel did this in a way that was effective but also loving because of the conviction. We, we can't bend the knee. We can't, we can't dilute the gospel. We can't avoid saying things because someone might get offended a little bit. But at the same time, we can do things in a loving way that's not intentionally making people mad. If we do that, the whole point of the gospel is tossed out the window and it's not going to be effective. Um, I, know, I know in my life I've, I've said things that just popped up in my mind quick just to say them. And because I did that, it pushed both me and the guy I was talking to completely on opposite ends. And the thing I love about this passage in Daniel 1 is that he's not talking out of his own selfish mentality. He's, he's talking on behalf of God, but he's also putting him, himself in the king's shoes and saying, now, how, how about we do this instead? Because if he just did it in a selfish way, he wouldn't have said that at all. But because he's, he's thinking of the king as he's talking and not just himself, he is completely effective in what he does, and I think we need to keep that same mentality and, and actions when we 
tell people about the gospel and just connect with them in any way possible. That's good. Again, these are some very, very um, powerful, life-changing principles uh, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, again, we can learn so much from God's Word in this area, and this is part of our mission. It's part of our mission um, to, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Just want to give a, a huge thank you uh, to our, our panel here. Uh, these guys did a great job, and I love this generation. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can give them a hand. <laughs> and it's not just these three guys. It's, it's this generation. I love this generation. I love their, their passion for Jesus, their passion for the gospel. I love that so many are involved here at PMC, and I hope... PMC is always, always a church that is championing the next generation, that we're raising up that next generation of believers and leaders. Um, I love what Pastor Brett is doing with his ministry to young adults, the 412 group. Again, Brett is, is modeling the very things we're talking about here this morning. Um, discipleship, uh, study of the word, prayer, uh, relational connections. That 412 group is all about relational connections and doing life together and becoming more and more like Jesus. And so um, I hope that PMC continues to be a place um, for each generation. Uh, truly, every generation is needed. Every generation is important. I don't want anybody to feel slighted just because I'm, I'm focusing on Gen Z. Every generation here is extremely valued and loved and needed. But I do want to continue to be that church that is always after the next generation and is always raising them up uh, to become the men and women that God has called them to be. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these principles that are here for us. You've called us to be workers in the harvest field. And we know the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. We know that even here in Fulton County, there are at least 18,000 people who need Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that we would be about this mission. I pray, God, that we would be relational, that we would build friendships, that we would establish common ground, that we would live out our beliefs and our convictions about doing that in a, in a way that's filled with grace. God, I pray um, just your blessing on PMC, on each one who is here this morning. Equip each one of us, Holy Spirit, to be your ambassadors in this coming week. And I ask this all in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Thank you, church, for gathering. I pray you take time just to connect with each other, encourage one another, pray with one another. Have a wonderful and blessed day. I love you all. Other days are just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. Yo, it's crazy, amazing. We can turn our heart through the
words we say Mountains crumble with every syllable Broken, live or die So speak life